What's up, everybody? And thanks for stopping by. <clears throat> yeah, it's. Uh, I just thought I'd uh, check in with you guys. Uh, it's been a while since uh, I've chimed in. Hope uh, everybody's been well. Hope your Super Bowl uh, Sunday was uh, all that you had hoped it would be. <laughs> oh, man. I got a... Uh, uh, seasonal allergies man so my they're just kicking my ass uh for the last couple of weeks so that's why i'm sounding a little bit congested um so episode 153 that's what we're uh we're working on here uh first of all let's uh let everybody know where they can find uh me if you want to listen on something else or possibly watch uh, the video versions of these um, conversations, because they are available on video as well. Um, so, yeah. Where you can find me is on YouTube. Um, actually, if you went to my link tree, uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash nowhere to go but up. You can find all my social media, all the places to connect to me in the show, um, as well as uh, I have to add my Odyssey channel on there because um, Odyssey is where I have been putting all of the content that is not suitable for YouTube. I've already got two strikes on YouTube, so uh, I'm trying to toe the line over there and not put any uh, uh, <clears throat> conversations up there that would... Uh, uh, cause me to get a third strike and, um, you know, be off the platform. <clears throat> so, you know, just got to kind of conform to some things, right? Or just unplug all the way together, but I haven't figured out how to do that yet. Uh, that's a, that's a tall task. <laughs> just trying to think about mounting that insurmountable, what it seems, uh, giant mountain of like, how would you even go about doing that? <clears throat> Anyways, I'm getting off on a little, little detour there. Uh, so where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? Episode 153. So this episode was, uh, recorded or this conversation was recorded, uh, in December of 2020. So if you've been following, um, my, podcast and you've listened to number 83, I believe it is. And that's when I hooked up with a gentleman by the name of David DeRocher. And he is the executive director of the Other Side Academy. And that's uh, out in Utah. And I came across David through um, somebody, my friend Shana sent me, forwarded me a uh, what was it? A TEDx talk that he had done. And I, li I watched it and I was like, holy shit, this dude's like legit. You know what I mean? Like he really moved me, um, you know, with what he was talking about. And so, you know, immediately I went and looked for him. And uh, I think within maybe an hour to an hour and a half, um, I had him on the phone and was setting up a uh, time to get him on the podcast. Um, and this was around the time when I was starting the uh, nonprofit and I wanted to, you know, I was, was interested in, in like a home for, for, uh, males, uh, 
18 to 24, um, you know, to kind of do this sort of a program like he was doing there. And it's a therapeutic community. And so basically it's a behavioral um, therapeutic community. And a lot of the people that are there are people that are chronic uh, incarcerated people, right? So chronic incarceration, um, drug addicts, chronic, uh, you know, uh, drug addiction. And so, you know, they, they come to this program for two years. That's what they have to sign on for. And, uh, you know, they, they live and they work in the, um, uh, what do they call those, uh, social enterprises that, that, uh, they own and run, uh, one it's, which is a, a moving company and then also a, um, couple thrift stores. So, and I mean, I was just so kind of interested in, in, in what he was doing. And I'd been to a, uh, a, a therapeutic community when I was younger, and, you know, it was uh, <clears throat> pretty impactful because I remember the whole thing. So, yeah. I, I So, anyways, I did the podcast with him. Um, and then he invited myself and my friend Shana up to uh, Utah to check the spot out. And we did. And it was really cool. Uh, like, dude, I was super emotional most of the time that I was there. Uh, it reminded me a lot of, of, you know, what I'd gone through, uh, the place that I went to and it was just a real warm and, and, and loving and caring, uh, experience. And so, uh, we got to experience all kinds of stuff there. And while I was there, I interviewed three, um, of the former students, uh, now turned staff and they gave me their testimonies and, you know, their stories and, you know, three of uh, there was there's two guys and uh and a gal and <clears throat> all three of the guys were were crying and in tears at one point and so it was uh it, it was it was a pretty cool experience um you can catch the video of this i'll put the the link down in the um description or the show notes um and so the video of this is basically <clears throat> And also, too, while I was there, I was I brought my drone, so I took some footage and everything else. So I linked up some of the footage in the beginning as like an intro and sort of explaining, you know, what you're looking at, and then it moves into the uh, into the interview or the conversation. So yeah, um, I don't have a whole lot. I've got a lot of content still that needs to get out, and you know, I'm trying my best to to be motivated to do it. You know, this, I've been working on this one from the editing portion of it, you know, for the last two days, um, you know, when I got home from work trying to put it together. So, um, I'm going to try and do better. <laughs> I can't make any promises though. Um, you know, I, uh, I like to procrastinate and it's just kind of, you know, my thing. Um, so, yeah, I hope you enjoy uh, everything that I've been putting out so far. I definitely appreciate you. Um, and if you're, you know, still hanging on even through, you know, the freedom stuff and, you know, my views uh, on that topic and, you know, the other things that are going on in this, in the country and in the world, um, then I appreciate, you know, cool, man, because you're in the right place in my mind. 
because I'm really plugged into a lot of that stuff. So if you ever have any questions or, you know, comments or, you know, you want to reach out to me in any way, if you want to reach out to me, um, feel free. And you can do that at nowhere to go, but up now at gmail.com. And yeah, the link tree, uh, everything, every place you can find me, if you want to help support the show, that'd be awesome. Um, uh, I've been, you know, funding this thing for, you know, since the beginning and it'd be cool to, you know, catch some support from the listeners and, you know, so I can help keep this going, uh, and get a website. And I mean, I have a website. I just don't, I just don't know how to do the WordPress thing, man. And it's really, it's, it's frustrating when I try to get to it. And I don't know. Anyways. So, yeah, I mean, I would definitely appreciate some of that and you can do that. You can buy me a coffee, uh, and all those links are in the link tree, which all of those links will be in the show notes. Uh, also too, um, there's going to be a, uh, thing in the description in the show notes of, oh man, what was it? It, uh, uh, so if, you have anybody that fits into the category of what I just described the other side Academy and the students that kind of go there. Um, there's going to be a, a, an informational thing in there as well as to how to get somebody in there. Um, and it's free. It doesn't cost anything. Um, it just, you know, you gotta be willing to change your life and change your behavior. And so if you know anybody that fits that description, uh, ways to get them into that program, um, are, uh, in the description of, of this episode. So, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yep. That's definitely it. So, Hey man, let's get to the show. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I am your host, Sean Dustin. Today, we are here at the Other Side Academy. And for those of you that don't or haven't been following what I've been doing, David DeRocher is a gentleman that I interviewed probably about a month ago, I'd say. And it was a great interview. Um, I'm trying to catch my breath. Okay. Yeah, it was a great interview, um, and David invited me and Shana Bo up to the Other Side Academy so we could see for ourselves what was happening up here and the great work that they're doing. And I have three of the uh, former clients, the clients or students? Yeah. Former students from the Other Side Academy that are now staff members. And so that's what we're doing. We're here interviewing, talking, getting their stories, and, and having them tell us about how great this place is. So which one do you guys want to start? 
Definitely yeah, Tori. Tori. She's got seniority. She's the one that begins usually. All right, well, let's do it. <laughs> so, Tori, I guess it's you. Okay. And and your name is Jordan. Jordan. Nicholas. Nicholas. All right. So, Tori, Jordan, and Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And there's Christmas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Tori, tell me a little bit about your story, um, as mm-hmm. much as you want to tell me, and how your kind of path led you to where you are right now at the other side of Academy. Yeah, so um, I was raised in a small town. Uh, My mom and dad were not married. They were both drug addicts. Uh, My mom decided to leave me with my dad, and she went off, you know, to do her thing. Um, My dad got clean and sober to take care of me. Um, But he got in a cement truck accident, and so he was disabled, and so we lived off of Social Security our whole lives. So we never had any money. We didn't really have money to buy you know, groceries, or we didn't have money to, you know, even drive down to my friend's house to drop me off, or for a lot, like, the nice clothes and stuff, so I was, I would say I was raised poor, and um, I remember starting to rebel against that, because I was upset by the way that, you know, I was living, even though my dad took care of me, I didn't see that at the time, and I just started hanging out with the bad kids, just started smoking uh, weed and drinking at 12, um, still going to school, started doing meth at about 13, you know, and I look back on it thinking, you know, a 13-year-old in middle school doing meth, how come nothing was done? Done, You know, people had to have seen that, um, but did meth, um, smoked weed, was partying, uh, got into high school, and I stopped for a while because I knew that I wanted something different, but then I met a boyfriend. I met a guy, and I started using um, opiates with him, started doing heroin. Um, somehow I graduated high school. I'm not sure how I did that, but I, I do have my high school diploma. Um and getting into my, uh, after I graduated, um, I just started using more heavily. I started getting charges at 18, 19, in and out of jail, withdrawing in and out of jail, trying to get into treatment. It was just like this cycle all through, you know, 18 to about 21. Um, 22, um, I wanted to get clean, um, so I went into treatment. So I left that guy, went into treatment, and I met another guy. And within a few weeks, I was pregnant, so I had my first child um, in my addiction. So started using again. I was pregnant. Um, she was born addicted, um, and that wasn't enough for me to stop. DCFS came in and, and, and took her from me. A few months later, I got into treatment and got her back, but then I found out I was pregnant again. You know, just so immature. Like, the way that I was living was completely immature. I had no right to have kids when I couldn't even take care of myself. But, you know, in the moment, I was just super selfish, and all I cared about was myself. Um, Had my son, and when he was about 14 months, she was three. Um, I was still using in and out didn't care about my kids, Um, pushed them them away, you know, to get my next fix. Um, DCFS came in, and they took him from me. So um, the state took him. I signed away my rights. And um, more reason to go in the depths of despair, you know, more reason for me to ruin my life. Instead of getting better, I destroyed myself even more. Um, Gosh, throughout my whole 20s, um, in and out of jail, just living on the streets. I would live out of a backpack. I wouldn't have anywhere to go. Nobody wanted me around because I would steal everything from them, or I would hustle them, or I would manipulate them. And so nobody wanted me there. Um, Family disowned me, basically. Um, And then... um, in 2015, um, my dad, who'd cared for me my whole life, and I took advantage from him, he passed away while I was in jail. So, you know, that was hard on me because, you know, I never could give him the daughter he deserved. I, I, I was a heroin addict. I, I was in jail when he passed away, and that wasn't enough for me to get clean either. Got out, started using again, 
the next year in February, I wrote to the Other Side Academy. So I've been here since February 2016. Um, you know, and ever since I got here, I made a promise to myself that I was going to do whatever it took to fix my life so I didn't go back out to the streets. I There wasn't another run in me. I, I was either going to die or go to prison. So... I've been here for almost five years now at the Other Side Academy, and it's completely changed my life, completely, all the way around. So what would you say about the Other Side Academy that's so impactful, and why is it so successful in your opinion? Because um, the moment you come in, it's a family. They care about you. It's it's not like a nine-to-five for the staff members. This is their life. I knew that they loved me. They cared for me. As soon as I came in the door, they trusted me. And they, and they gave me responsibilities. They um, taught me just how to stand up for myself and have boundaries. I've never used my voice to stick up for myself. And if I did, it was always in the wrong way. But just the love and care, the family surroundings, were not just like a treatment program or a family. Yeah, that's what I've noticed since I've been here. And I think one of the main things that stands out is that you have all of the staff members, including yourselves, you live on the property pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, there's five different buildings right now presently one two three four five yes yes if we include the thrift stores seven yes (laughs) yeah i was lucky to be able to go and check out that operation oh that's awesome i was like oh my god i get to go up to where you go to get to shop for your stuff and it's like brand new shoes i was like jesus this is the place i want to be i got a shoe (laughs) shoe and a half problem (laughs) so yeah i i this is amazing this Mm -hmm. place um the amount of, I mean, I've even been pulled up since I've been here. Nice. And that's, that's cool, man. I mean, it's like, Absolutely. I wanted to be immersed here mm-hmm. and to see kind of what it was like. Don't treat me like an outsider. Treat yep. me as if I need to follow the rules too. Yep. You know? Absolutely. So what would you, what's the question I want to ask? I, one of the main themes that I've noticed um, with females and I've talked to a lot of them. I've, I've talked about 10 of them that are still in prison right now, incarcerated in the federal system. And most of them, they, yes, they have dr- a drug problem, but the problems that they had fell from the men that they had in their lives. You know, like the boyfriends that they chose, you know. Did you find yourself in situations like that as well? Yeah, well, I was always a manipulator and a liar and a thief. I was always that. But get me involved with somebody else who I wanted to, like, live up to what he's doing so he didn't go out and get with somebody else or cheat on me or do this, that I wanted to live up to that high, that expectation of crime. Mm-hmm. That's just who I wanted to be, you know, and it just got worse for me. So I can definitely see where they're coming from in saying that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really sad. Um, you know, I think out of all... Ten, oh, now about seven of them are females. Two of them are, are uh, three of them are males, mm-hmm. and none of them has less than fifteen years. God. And just for drugs, yeah, just for yeah. methamphetamines, they got they got caught up in a uh, conspiracy, and it, it was just this person said that you did this X, Y, and Z, and it's yeah. crazy. It's super sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say to somebody out there right now who's struggling uh, with addiction and they might hear this, uh, you know, a woman mm-hmm. or anybody, it doesn't matter who. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that there's hope, you know, for a long time I, w- I was super hopeless. And then I found the other side Academy and we're free. We don't cost anything to come here and, and to change your life, but you've got to want it. And so know that there's hope and there are places that are available or there's people out there who are willing to help you, but you've got to start putting in the work. You've got to make the decision that it's time for you to change. 
and that you're going to quit using to do something different, but you have to make that choice. But when is enough enough? You know, when are you just going to get sick of that and reach out and ask somebody for help? Because there are people out there, not just the Other Side Academy. There's a bunch of non-profit organizations that would help people. You know, for the for the women out there and the ones who are moms and they want to make it about their kids, that I can't be without them for two and a half years if they came here. It's like, you're not there anyways. Yeah. Like, why not leave them, let them go, let them do their thing and come here and get your life together so you don't ever have to leave again. Yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's sometimes hard for them to make that decision. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you, since you've had them, you've never been there for them. Yeah. So stop making it about them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, so what is your role here currently? Um, so I'm a staff member here, and I'm over medical. Um, I also help run the women's program. Um, I'll wear any hat and help wherever I need to, uh, but mainly um, medical is my department. Awesome, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you. Yep, absolutely. Next. Hey. Jordan. So, uh... I, I love being interviewed. It's one of my favorite things in the entire world. <laughs> Sarcasm. Um, but I also, I came from a small town. There's a lot of them here in Utah. And I grew up in a very religious family. Um, really good people. They tried to raise me as best they possibly could. But I always had a lazy, a lazy, lazy mentality. And so, you know, if I could lie to get something done faster or get some, somebody off my back... I was going to do it, you know. It was always the shortcut. You know, if it came to grades, my grades were terrible until I got, you know, in trouble for it. And then the last week, I'm like, look, I've got an A now. Never did I take any initiative in my life. And so, like, as I'm growing up throughout high school, um, my brother being LDS as well, he serves a two-year mission. I was 16 at the time. And I absolutely idolized this guy. He really kept me grounded. And so when he left, you know, it was just me and my parents. And, you know, I could not handle that for some reason. And so I was looking for all these different ways to rebel. I didn't have my brother. And, uh, you know, it was so easy to fall into, you know, the drug world, right? Where prior to, I was playing soccer, I was going to church, I was doing all these things lazily, mind you. And, um, and now it was just a straight drug world, right? And everything that I'd been taught my entire life that drugs were going to kill you the moment that you use them was wrong. And uh, it kind of opened up Pandora's box for me. I'm like... Everything they've ever told me is a lie, and I'm out to prove it. And so I just found myself, or I put myself in the worst situations, and it just kept progressing. You know, the first time was ecstasy. You know, a month later, it was heroin and cocaine. From there, I'm like, well, I don't want to pay for this, so we're just going to start selling it. And that's what I did. And at this point, I'm 17 years old. And honestly, I didn't see anything wrong with it. I thought it was me and my friends having a good time. Nobody had overdosed yet. There was nothing bad happening. We, there was no ill consequences from what I could see. Yeah. Um, by 18, I got picked up for the first time. And, you know, it felt like a big deal in the moment, but I was released within two weeks. Um, you know, I, I went back out. I went straight to those friends. We did the exact same things. Uh, I racked up more charges, more charges, um, to the point where I actually I got an escape charge because I walked away from a work program while I was doing time on one of those. And I, it kind of struck me at that moment. I'm like, what do you expect you're going to do with the rest of your life? You're just going to run? Like, you're no convict, dude. And, um, and so I turned myself in. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to do this right. They put me into drug court, which has all of the best intentions, mind you. 
And so I had it set. I'm like, I'm never going to get high again, right? And so I tell them that as soon as I get into drug court, and I didn't. You know, I wasn't getting high off the things that I thought were important. But behind the scenes, everything that I could get away with, I was getting away with. And what it reinforced for me is, if you're not getting caught, it's okay. And so I graduated drug court all the while not doing it right, thinking that the the only objective was to get off of heroin and cocaine. And so like, I threw it in their face. I'm like, look, look at how good I'm doing. And the things that never got addressed were, you know, boundaries, who I associated with, like long-term, like, effects of the choices that I'm making. Um, and a lot of it was, like, I was much too young in mindset to even comprehend any of those conversations. And I wasn't in an environment where it was even held to a high esteem. You know, I got to choose my environment, which was my friends, right? And so, graduated that. At this point in time, those friends had all kind of cleaned up their act, you know, but I'm just fresh off probation, and I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's go have some fun, right? And um, it was a harsh reality when I realized I had to become a closet user, you know? All my friends are doing something different, and, you know, my sneaky mentality that I wholeheartedly adopted throughout drug court just became the new norm. And so, you know, it was just isolation and drug use for an extended period of time. You know, I'd had my life sectioned off into people that knew that I was getting high, and they were so far removed from the people that didn't, you know. And um, so I did this for years, and, you know, as that progresses, you know, your lives get more extravagant. Uh, the brazenness with which you steal gets even crazier, Um and, you know, I really lost all moral compass during this time period because I was by myself, and that's honestly what I believed. Pardon me if I uh, get emotional. I also get emotional. It's one of my things. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> it does. It's just right there. <laughs> all right, and you're just fending it off. You're like, please, not now, not now. Um, but anyway, that was a very lonely time period, and like I said, I, just, I would do anything. I would uh, rob, cheat, steal, and the entire time you're hating yourself with this inability to do something different. You're like, I know I'm going to hate myself for doing it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And so through that time period, there's a couple times where I'm like, okay, enough is enough. So I go to a rehab. I do well. You know, I get out. There's about a month to three months. I fall on my face, and I'm like, okay. It was a, a one-off thing. I'm okay. And then I try and start over again. But each time I'm doing that, I'm selling everything I own. I'm lying to people I'm destroying relationships and so like there is no safety net there is no community for me whatsoever um, by my own design mm -hmm. and so finally I find the other side academy after you know picking up more charges actually what brought me to the academy I'd actually gone into my probation officer and said you know what I'm unhelpable take me to jail and he's like not going to do that you know go get yourself clean go to the other side academy and I'm like, fine, whatever. I mean, it's not going to work. So I get here, and, uh, you know, I was so used to manipulating and getting my way. And so when they said interview, I'm like thinking, ah, I got this. It's not a big deal. And uh, they sat down next to me, and they started telling me how much of a piece of crap I was. And I'm like, who, who are you? And I was so pissed because it was so right on, and I'd never been called out for it before. And this guy doesn't even know me, right? And he had my number. And I remember thinking, because they, they take you back out while they make their actual decision, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to get this, right? It's not going to happen. And uh, thankfully, they accepted me, and um, 
you know, I won't lie to anybody. The first 18 months were so difficult. I did everything they asked me to, and uh, it didn't feel good, right? Yeah. Holding boundaries did not feel good. You know, none of those things felt good after you've lived for so long being a scumbag and doing the least, you know, path of least resistance, right? They're telling you to go into the resistance no matter what, and every single person in the house is going to hold you to that standard. But at the end of that 18 months, I look back and I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't do anything I hate myself for. It's okay, man. Anyway. You're almost getting me too. So, <laughs> so from that moment, when I realized, like, you know, I've got something decent. It wasn't a hard choice to stay longer. It was uncomfortable, but well worth it, you know. And uh, yeah, kind of brought me here. At the end of my third year, they offered me a job. And so, yeah, here I am. Thank you. What's, what's your role? You're um, IT? Yeah, I'm our uh, IT manager, so taking care of the contracts for internet, phones, all of those sorts of things, making sure that we're functioning that way. It's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being so honest and open. Yeah. I know it's not easy. But it's the crying part that gets me, you know? Ah, you feel it. It would be so easy if I wouldn't cry. You know, these days, I just, when that happens, and sometimes it, just, it happens at the, the oddest moments. It happened when I was interviewing Dave. And at the very end, it's like, ah, uh, it's just mm-hmm. flooded with emotions. I do it now, like almost now. It, it just, I don't know if that's because there's still things that need to be worked out. Or if it's you know, or just need to keep letting it out mm-hmm. until it just mm-hmm. doesn't come back anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. But, you know, I just I just roll with it. I think it's more admirable, but admirable that you can do that in mm-hmm. front of a, me, somebody I don't, you don't even know. You know, these these guys you're comfortable with. You probably cried with them a few times in your in, in your life so far, right? Few, definitely. Uh, well, thank you. I'm honored that you would feel comfortable enough with me to show your emotion like that. Absolutely. You. <laughs> How are you going to follow that? Uh, well, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> um, so I think we're all from small towns, turns out, after listening to everybody. I was born in San Diego. I'm the middle child of six. Uh, my mom and my dad moved to Vernal when I was maybe a year old. So, Vernal, Utah, small town. Um, my upbringing was um, my dad was a severe alcoholic. My mom and him did drugs together. So that was kind of the norm, you know, physical beatings of my mom. Never us kids, but, you know, my, my childhood was very, um, it was just rough. It, ne- never as rough as, it, in the moment didn't seem that bad because that's all that I knew. But looking back, I know it was pretty crazy. Um, so severe alcoholism, meth use, drug use was, was just the norm growing up. That's what my house would look like. Um, the trap house, you know, people don't know what, just people in and out, All if they're there, they're there to buy drugs. That was just, that was what I was raised in. My dad was deported when I was about eight, eight years old, didn't have any contact, deported to Fiji for drugs, you know. 
Um, and at that point, they split us all up, uh, the six brothers. Three youngest went to the state with my mom. The three older ones all went, lived with an aunt. Um, and this just kind of went on. Um, I was... I remember being a young kid, and all I really wanted was to protect my mom and be there for my mom. And my mom could never tell a lie, right? I believed whatever she told me. And I kind of latched on to that, and that kind of led me into, eventually, when I was 13, uh, using meth with my mom for the first time, you know. And this is probably the worst that my mom ever got was around this time, before she went to prison. Um, But, you know, I remember... That was the norm, and I just remember craving that attention and just wanting, you know, to be noticed. Because before I started using drugs, it was always door was closed. You know, only time I seen her was was in between her coming in and out or people showing up, things like that. Uh, my brothers, the two that were with me, they caught on to what was going on a little early, and, and they they left. They went to live with my aunt. And, I was resented them for that, like they abandoned my mom, you know, not me. I was going to stick it out, protect mama. Um, and this, this went on until I was about 13. You know, it was meth and marijuana, not big drinking after my dad being an alcoholic. It was one thing I wasn't allowed to do. No rules. Only one was no drinking. Um, crazy. Oh, don't bring the cops on. That was the other one. But um, so at about 13, I caught my first felony, um, breaking into cars. Uh, that put me into the system. I started uh, going to DT. My first sentence was 45 days. Uh, put me on probation and started me on the cycle that literally was my life until I came here. Um, uh, at about 14, my mom went to prison. She went on a 1 to 15. Cops raided the house. And uh, she went to prison on a 1 to 15 for, for meth and a 0 to 5 as well. Um, and I didn't really see her after that. Or I didn't talk to her. I was mad at her for leaving. And I started going on the run for the first time. Um, I quit going to school. Only time I'd go to school is when I was at home or could back at my aunt's. I hated being there because she, you know, I had to come home after school. I had to go to school. I, she couldn't like any of my friends because they're all druggies. You know, it was it was rules. Something I wasn't used to. So I rebelled. I ran. I ran every chance I got. You know, and so that was just kind of the cycle going through. And what would happen was it would be, I would average about three months where I wasn't actually incarcerated. And this was my juvenile life, right? So I'd be running, living on the streets, living couch to couch. Looking back, I was homeless, but I didn't look at it like that. I was a kid. As long as I had somewhere to stay, I knew plenty of people because those were all the people that were coming to my mom's house growing up. They all knew me, you know what I mean? So... I always had a couch to stay at, you know, and, and people kind of felt bad for me. But that, that's 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 what I knew as life, and that's that's what I did for the longest time. Um, didn't graduate high school. I uh, didn't make it long enough. Uh, the most I'd made, I made it to my 10th year. And then by then, I was locked up so much that me just showing up to school was pretty much pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was 17, uh, I met... Kip, my ex-wife, well, currently in the process of getting divorced. Um, and I had finally got to the point where I was turning 18, I'm arrested, and they're going to terminate me. I'm finally going to be on probation. So from 13 to 18, I'm on paper at the peanut cup. I had to follow these rules. 
And I'm thinking 18, wow, you know, here I am, I'm rested. They're finally going to turn me and be off paper. I'll finally be able to live life because mm-hmm. I'm blaming the system. I'm saying, well, drugs aren't bad. I can do what yes. I want, you know. If I, if I don't have to pee in a cup, I'll be fine. You know, I won't go to jail anymore. It's the only reason I get in trouble. The damn cup. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> heaven forbid, you know, I actually just quit doing drugs, you know. Um, but another thing happens when I'm 18. I, I have my son, my oldest son, um, you know, and... No protection. I mean, the whole thing was just, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I have a son, you know. And I approach this, you know, having a son is kind of like, oh, okay. You know, I want, this is the first time I realized that I wanted more for him than what I got from my dad and from my mom. And this, this is like the first time that idea kind of comes into my mind. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. And, you know, my meth use has been sporadic up until this point. Kind of, you know, just kind of here and there. It hasn't been like a main focus, but... You know, around the same time I have, I'm about to have my son and bring him into the world, you know, well, I didn't do a lot of the work. It was mostly her. But uh, that's when it starts to get really bad. You know, that's when I notice the lies are, are the worst, you know. For all that resenting I did of my mom, for all the lies she told me growing up and not showing up, I actually became that person. I lied for, you know, if I was going to the store, you can best believe I was doing 12 other things that had nothing to do with the reason I left, if I even made it to the store. You know, and, and started down this road of me just being this consistent liar. That's what I lied. And I, I had this mantra of deny, 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 and then when you're caught, lie some more. If they can't pin it on you, you're good. And I treated everybody that I had relationships with, everybody that I said I cared about, that was how I did it. And that's how I lived my life. And um, I remember my son being born. I was there. You know, I remember, you know, some... Somebody that my brother owed money to actually showed up to collect on on me when he was born. I was high out of my mind. You know, it was... Uh, it was I was there, but I wasn't there. You know, I think it's been sad. You know, but I had no clue what was going on. I just, you know, it, it was horrible. You know, my son didn't have that coming. Um, remember I told you... I was on paper, I was finally off. Well, my son was about a year old. Um, My brother, Josh, decided to let uh, uh, my wife at the time know that I'd been using meth consistently. And the reason why I was spending all that time in the bathroom was because I was using drugs. He thought it'd be better if she knew and it was out in the open. Well, I wasn't going to admit to it. She, She knew I was lying. And it led her to, she took my son. She took my son away from me. And I used this, this was my excuse, mm-hmm. to fly off the handle. Oh, yeah, you're gonna, nobody's going to take my son away. And it, it turned into this, well, I was so upset about not being able to see my son. What else did I have to look for? What else did I have to do other than go do math? And so uh, led me on a run. I made it about a month. I do remember this pattern, and I caught a new, a new felony. Um, and this, this led me to drug court. Um, but I remember that inkling, that idea that I had. Um, it was there, um, and I'm like, okay, I'll do drug court. You know, let me out of jail. I'll do drug court. I really want to be there for my son. I made it about two years, right? I didn't graduate successfully. I made it about two years, though, of white-knuckling it, wanting to do more, struggling to survive. I mean, just a miserable two years for being sober, and I remember that very clearly. But I wasn't able to break the cycle, you know? I still ended up going to prison a few years down the road, went to prison on the same exact charges my mother went to prison on, crazy enough, almost identical charges. 
I remember getting out of prison with a plan. I did a program. I was in there. I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I know everything I need to do. I'm going to be successful and be there for my kids. Get out of prison, make another baby. Seemed like the right thing to do, you know, you know the way I was raised. So I made my daughter, or I made, I made my, my son when I got out. Fully intentioning, all the best wishes. I wanted more. I wanted to do. And I'm off paper, right? There's no way they're going to put me on probation, so they terminated my sentence when I'm released. Um, how long do you think I made it? Probably not far. Yeah, three months. Three months before I caught another felony. Right back in the system, right back in the same cycle, except for now I'd introduced heroin into my life. Not at that exact time, but I'd started that cycle to where now heroin's going to be a part of my life. But I decided to make another child. I'm up to four at this time. I know I skipped some. <laughs> but you know that was that was my life this consistent cycle of about six months intervals and then going to jail in jail sobered up making all promises saying I'm going to be a man I'm going to show up I'm going to do things for my kid but the thing that that it really came down to was I didn't know how to do any of those things mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know what it meant to be a man I didn't know how to process the emotions I didn't know how to be there for my kids I didn't even know how to tell the truth you know or even what that looked like she didn't have very good role models to begin with. There was people there. I mean, there was my aunt. I, yeah. Not all of my brothers took the path. Like, there was options. Yeah. If I would have made a few different choices, it was definitely within, you know, I'm owning that. I, there was chances I had that I didn't take, but it wasn't the easiest, right? But I didn't really know how to do it, right? The, the ideas and the books, and I'd read the books, and I knew kind of the, you know, the programming part of it, right? But to actually put it in, to implement it, to, to do it on a daily basis and to see what that looks like and how hard it is and, you know, putting things off. I didn't know how to do that. And, well, I'd, I'd went on the run, or I'd done the run thing, and this time I made it a little longer. I made it about a year. But I had dived, I'd gone farther in than I never have. I started, uh, you know, uh, using a needle. I started heroin, you know, and uh, wasn't even there for my kids. Right. The few times I'd see them, it'd be to, to pass out. I think I even stole their mom. I did. I stole their mom's car once. You know, I, All-time low for me. And I'm back in jail. And this is story of my life, right? I'm back in jail. I know I'm going back to prison. And I'm looking around. And walking into jail is like seeing all your old friends, you know? You got that old-timer over there that knew your dad. You got that guy over there that owed you some money from the last time you were in. You're taking care of your setup. This is comfortable. This is better than the life that you live when you're not in here. And that, that idea scared the, scared the daylights out of me. I, I had this realization that I don't want to be that 50-year-old man who walks into jail and, you know, you're home. This is your life. You might make it three months in society, but this is, this is what you're destined to do. And, and that scared me, you know. So I started looking, you know. Rehabs and things, they were starting to give people shots, right? Well, I've never had money. Money wasn't really an option, so there was... A few things that I were looking at, and the only one that was really feasible for me would have been uh, the Army uh, Salvation, Salvation Army. Army. And I just heard horrible things about that, but it was long term. It was something, you know, some place where I could go give it a shot. But my my hopes on that were pretty slim to know. And then somebody from the academy, right? It just started, but somebody from the academy had decided this place wasn't for them, and I'm sitting in jail. And, I'm listening and te- describe this place that he just left, and you know he wasn't doing it. He's describing it, and I'm listening. He's like he gets to work all day. They barbecue every weekend. 
they don't talk about drugs. Uh, you know, it's all you can eat, right? The food thing really got me. But, but and it's unlike anything that that he's ever seen, you know. And the way he's described, he's saying it in like a negative connotation, but I'm listening to him from my book, and I'm like, why would you leave that place? Yeah. Like, what else do you, like, what are you doing? And he's kind of younger, you know what I mean? And we had a conversation, and he decided to go give it a shot, and so I asked him for a phone number. You know, what do I got to do? And you got to realize, at this point, my kids have become used to seeing me in jail. You know, used to visiting me in this horrible place that kids should never have to go to see a parent, you know? I'm pretty far down there. Uh, you know, I'll never forget the phone call. You know, I remember he gave me the phone or the number. He says, "Call Dave's, talk to Dave." My picture of Dave's like this fat, you know, therapeutic like doctor, <laughs> and I have this idea in my mind of what he's going to be like when I talk to him. I've been to rehabs, you know, I've kind of had that experience. And I call him, and it's nothing like like I could have imagined. You know? He has that conversation. He's asking me about my kids, what do you want? And I'm broken at this point, you know, emotional crying, all those things. And he asked me the, the one hard truth, you know, the one that I can deny. He says, so do you love your kids? I said, yeah, yeah, I love them with all my heart, you know. That's what, it, yeah, that's, yeah, I really need to get together for me. He says, mind you, a little more colorful than I'm going to say right now, but, you know, if, if that's love, you know, you say you love your kids, how would you treat them if you hated them? Mm-hmm. You know, and that cut me pretty deep. And, you know, I wouldn't treat my worst enemy the way I've been treating my kids all these years. You know, the biggest thing here was that, you know, for somebody with kids is that you gotta, you, you can't speak to them. You know, until you get your stuff together, the best thing for them is to give them space. You know, tell you're somebody who adds to their life, you need to get out of their lives. You know, and that was me to a T. He called me out. And I begged and I pleaded and, I, you know, I said, just give me a shot. You know, that's all I ever want. Just give me a shot. I'll do everything you ask. And I remember getting a letter, the acceptance letter. And, you know, you're in jail, you get this letter. I've never been accepted to college, but I assume that that's what it felt like, you know. And I'm like, boom, and I, you know, jumping on the table. And I got accepted to the academy and I got released. And my mother and uh, my now ex-wife and my son and my kids, they drove me out here, you know. And I'm saying goodbye to my son on the way. You know, I'm, I can still feel the, you know, the, the tear coming out of his eye as he says goodbye to me. My youngest is a baby who didn't even remember. And I made it here, you know. And I didn't know what I needed to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it. All I knew is I seen some people that were successful. You know, people, when they look at us, I'm sure that's what they see. And they had done it, done something similar. And I trusted them. And I said, that's how I did my entire time here was, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. I trust you. Just tell me what I got to do. And I did it every single day, sometimes a little overzealously, you know, if you ask people who did their state with me. Um, and I, I stayed the two. I didn't see my kids, didn't talk to my kids, didn't do any of that until they said I was ready. Right? It wasn't... It wasn't a time frame. It was when did they feel like it was an appropriate time for me to reintroduce them back into my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about me, right? It wasn't about me feeling better and being a part of me. It wasn't about that. It was when's a good time for them? Mm-hmm. When's it a right thing to do for them? Well, it's pretty simple and straightforward. When I know for certain that I'm going to be in their lives for the rest of their lives. Until then, don't even bother because they've already said goodbye. They've mm-hmm. already done their thing. In two years, I decided to stay a third. I'd made my decision before then. 
And then I reintroduced myself back in my kids' lives. You know, and it's been a slow, steady, sometimes painful thing. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't trade that for the world at this point. You know, my relationship with my kids is still not, I don't have them every day. I still miss things, but you know what? They know that I'll be there for the rest of their lives. And I've showed up and I've done that. I stayed my third. I took a kind of a different path. I decided to work out about a, it's almost been a year now. I went and got a job at a Lexus dealership, tried out a few things. Um, I had a dream of always going to school. I went to school, did a coding boot camp for web design, you know, and then the academy offered me a position to help build a school here for students graduating. And the one thing I noticed missing in my life when I was out there, you know, doing it was the purpose. One thing you gain at the academy while you're here is a sense of purpose. I know that my interactions and the things that I'm doing with people and for people has a bigger purpose. And it actually helps people. I know that because it helped me. It saved my life. You know, the relationships that I have today with my friends, this is my best friend here. We live together, we work together, we work out together. It's pretty ridiculous. But you know, with Tori, like, I've never known relationships like this in my life. You know, honest, caring. You know, these people care about me. And you could feel that when you come in the doors. I'm sure you felt that. You know, that's what Tori meant by family. You know, it's genuine. I didn't really have that. You know, I didn't have that. I didn't know how to give that to my kids until I came here. That's what the academy did for me. Do I worry about doing drugs again? No. No, it's not really my bag. Do I worry about making mistakes? Yes. But I know now that I'll own those mistakes and I'll do what I need to make them right. And I learned that doing that every single day over and making mistakes and having to own it to Dory, to Jordan, and, and face those things in this community. And now I have that community in my life, you know? And as it grows and grows and grows, you know, I'm happy to be a part of that now. That's amazing, man. Uh, almost got me again, too. <laughs> got him again. Um, got me. The, uh, so you... Are you still, did you get your kids back and, and get all that straight or? No, so they're adopted and they've been adopted for about eight years. Okay. Yeah, I know the family and I'm um, started to reach out to the family, their, uh, their dad's sister, and that conversation has just barely started. So mm-hmm. that's a ways out to have contact with them. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I, yeah, some of the mistakes that we make, because I'm, I'm just like you guys. You know, yeah. I'm an addict as well. Um, you and our story is pretty similar, um, actually really similar. Uh, and so the one thing that I know, and there's the one, and everybody always asks me this, I don't know if you get asked this as well, but what was that moment? What was that one moment where you said, I'm going to change it all? And I mean, I, I, I try to answer that question sometimes, but it's like, for myself, it was, it wasn't just one moment. It was a culmination of years, 18 years of mistakes and disappointments and lying and cheating and stealing and doing whatever I had to get my needs met. Screw you. Mm -hmm. If I had to walk over you, if I had to do whatever I had to do, that's all that mattered. But there was one moment that I, I, I did pinpoint and it was when I was trying to manipulate myself back into my ex-wife's life um, for like the 85th time, um, I had been chasing her down a highway, driving like a, like a madman, trying to chase her down. And she, 
she literally pulled over because she said, you're going to kill somebody. What, what's wrong with you? And the one thing that I can remember was, is I was crying uncontrollably. And it was, uh, stop that. <laughs> it was a, uh, Everything that I had been through up to that point, it was like everything flashed in front of my eyes. All of the mistakes, all of the, the shit. And I was on my knees. And I, this is a busy highway during, during traffic, right? And there's cars going by, going by, going by. And I'm on my knees begging her to take me back because it, it's going to be different this time. I promise. It's not going to be the same. And that was the beginning. I just... It was weird. It was almost like I was watching myself from a distance and how pathetic I looked. Dude, you're mm -hmm. 30-something years old. Mm -hmm. When is it going to be enough? Yeah. When are you going to be tired of disappointing everybody and being unreliable? You know, I. that's what it was for me. Did you have anything that stands out like that for you? Uh, for me, so... Um... In my jail stay prior to coming here, I was only going to do 30 days on a probation violation. And I kept thinking to myself, I have nowhere to go. Like, I'm going back out to the streets and nobody wants me. Like, I have nowhere to go. I have no clothes. I have no property. I have nothing. Um, and a woman that was there told me about the Other Side Academy. So, you know, I just knew to write, I have to try something. And I got and I got accepted. But I just knew I had nowhere to go, and this has to be it. I didn't have another run in me. At that time, I just knew. I just knew that I, I had to do something different. Yeah. You know, for me, it was definitely the uh, a, a series, you know. Because there's multiple times in my life where I'm having this come to Jesus moment. I'm like, enough is enough. I'm done, right? And I'm doing everything in my power, you know. And uh, similar to you, like I was a month into my stay here, and there's a lot of people that got some pretty heavy contracts for, or consequences for, um, they're bringing Chew into the house and keeping secrets, you know, just going against the rules. And every single game and every single speech was about integrity, you know, how drugs aren't our problems. It's, it's the fact that we can't own anything that we do, you know. We have no accountability, and ever-present in my mind was the lie that I told in my interview, the lie that I felt like I needed to tell to get in here, right? And so these are happening on a daily basis for like two weeks straight, and that feeling is just growing in me. And, you know, it finally clicked for me, and I think back to all of those moments, and I'm like, okay, every single one of those moments where I had to come to Jesus, I'm like, okay, don't get high. And I did that. But it didn't solve my problems, right? And so when we're hearing all this, I'm like, maybe the fact that my life is so terrible is because I can't take accountability for myself. And so, uh, you know, I kind of, I fessed up to it, but like, this is what I did. You know, they gave me the opportunity, like, through a consequence to make up for it. You know, and that was just kind of the beginning, kind of a revolution in what I viewed my problem to actually be. So. Uh, so the last time I'll ever get busted. Um... I'm on the run. I'm back at the ex's house to you know to sleep it off. Um, and my kids' mom, right? I have all three of my kids there. Uh, my kids' mom runs to the store, and I forget why. I probably sent her for one cheese, but 
I'm downstairs and my kids are upstairs playing. Um, there's a knock on the door. Right? And I go check the people. It's a cop. Um, they recognize me, small town. They know I'm there. And they're pounding on the door. I'm not answering the door, you know. I don't want to let them in. Um, and so I just sit there, knowing this is the time. Here I go again. Here's that whole crazy cycle all over again, right back at it. Um, and then their mom comes home. She lets in the cop, and I'm arrested. I've stuffed all my paraphernalia mm-hmm. into the couch. And I'm bawling, right? I'm bawling because this is my life, because you know, I'm a hopeless wreck. And I'm bawling like a you know, child. I remember you saying you're looking down and how, you know, just how embarrassing that is. And my oldest, he would have been nine at the time, comes downstairs. He's got his baby brother and his little sister with him. And I look at him bawling. And I, you know, I said, you know, dad's going back again, you know. Sorry, little man, you know, you got to take, you know, take care of your brother and sister and your mom. And he looks me right in the eye and he says, okay, dad. Like a man, he looks me in the eye like a man and, and just nods, no emotion, you know. My little man, and he uh, takes his little brother and sister, takes them upstairs. You know, cops are searching the house, but he was more of a man in that moment than I had ever shown him to be, you know. And, you know, I never, I never will put my kids through that again, uh, you know. But that's that moment for me. You know, that's the man I'll never be. Again, I don't have to worry about that. Kind of mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's tough, man. Yeah, you actually give me this time. <laughs> um, so, what's next for you? Like, do you do you know what you know what you plan on doing, or is it just you're gonna? This is this would be definitely a hard yeah. place to leave. Yeah, I mean, because there's so much support here. There's anything you could possibly want is here. If you have an issue, you have plenty of people to talk to about it. You have friends. You, these guys are all family. What what goals do you have? Well, let, let's go back just a, a second. Because I know that the one thing that we all share is, and one of the biggest problems that we all probably have, is self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And what we were doing when we were out there was giving us negative we were getting self-esteem, but it was in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. You know, we would do things that would, in the criminal world, would be like, yeah, boy, yeah, that's all good. Yeah. And, but it's things that inside made you feel like shit. Yeah. And, but it was a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's like, all right, well, the more shit I feel like, well, then it just gives me a better reason to go use drugs. I'm yeah. a piece of shit anyway, so who cares? Yeah. Right? And you just keep repeat, repeat, mm-hmm. rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And... What I feel like this place does for all of the people here is the accountability is one thing, but it allows you to see that you guys are, are, are good people. You know, we're not bad people. We made bad decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, the behaviors that we had to use to get, you know, to survive in prison and the element all of those things were beneficial for us in those in those um, circles, right? And those are the hardest ones to break. And I think that this model here, the peer to peer to you know, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when you have your peers telling you, 
what to do versus the guy that or the the woman that read the books and yeah. has the yeah. has yep. the the letters behind her name. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's never been an addict. Doesn't know what being on drugs feel like. Has no idea what it feels like to be abandoned or to have to abandon your you know the people who you say you love. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. What. I don't even know where I'm going to go with that. I lost my train of thought. Um, some motion. <laughs> I'm telling you. I, I, I haven't done this in a long time mm-hmm. where I've actually been around people and like felt your pain mm-hmm. and, and kind of, you know what I mean? It's good. I, I mean, you need that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But what is, what, what's next? I mean, do you guys know where you want to go or you just kind of... Okay. Um, so I definitely plan on staying at the Other Side Academy. Um, I'm willing to go and help open another campus if I need to and, and leave Utah. I would love to stay in Utah, but I'm totally okay with, with leaving. But I don't have any other plans than being at the Other Side Academy. You know, I, I'm in a great relationship, and he came to the Other Side Academy. He's a graduate, too, so he lives on the same morals and values that I do, and he's willing to go with me anywhere. You know, and so I have my family, and I have that family, and my other family supports me, you know, and then I have this family, and this is this is the one that drives me to want to do more every single day. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, when I graduated and uh, they offered me the job, I'm, I told myself I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for five years, you know, especially because at the end of my second year, they gave me some more responsibilities or they allowed me to have some more responsibilities um, to help with the IT stuff. And I was like chomping at the bit because I saw so many things. I'm like, why are we doing this? This is so low tech. Like, I did all this the time. so low tech. And, and since I was young in the house, they're just like, stop. They just smack me down so like every single time. And, uh, you know, I, I really feel like I can help this place to the fullest in the next five years, you know, give them everything that I have to offer with the things that I know and the things that I can learn. And then, um, you know, past that point, I've tossed around all sorts of ideas, but I don't have anything solid as of yet, you know, but I know the next five years include that. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so I just started back on, so definitely five years, okay. uh, but nothing's locked in. You know, it's really about seeing what I can accomplish in five years here and see where that's at, mm-hmm. um, to see where that's at. Because there's this um, this dream, right, this idea. And one thing the Other Side Academy is able to do is make dreams and ideas become reality, you know. Mm-hmm. Joseph's got this idea, and Dave, and, you know, if I can just be a part of that process mm-hmm. and build it, you know, who, how crazy would that be to not try and be a part of something like that? And, yeah. and so I'm excited to see what these next few years bring, you know. If after five years, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm with Jordan. We, we bounce crazy ideas off each other all the time, you know. But I definitely don't think money's going to be the decider. I know it's tempting, but you know the purpose. Yeah. Whatever I move on to, I need that purpose in my life. Yeah, money's overrated. Yeah. <laughs> well, you need it, but I mean, you know, from somebody who was making great money out there, COVID really changed everything for me, yeah. um, and. You know, I was on a trajectory to be a business agent in my local, sacrificing a lot of time with my daughter, who's three years old. And when COVID hit, I, you know, I was, we were in the lockdown from the 19th and I was spending way more time with her. And I was like, you know what? I got to pivot out of this. I I can't, I would, how, how was I willing to give up that? You know what I mean? Where most people would give their life to get that back. Yep. 
you know, so that's kind of, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, And another thing that I think that is super awesome about being able to be in a community like this is you get to watch people come in broken and watch the process. Oh yeah. Yeah. And in two years, the difference of this person to them, to, to then has got to be really, really amazing. It is. Well, it's interesting. Right before we came in here, Tori, Dave, and I were having that conversation about one of the students as they walked by, you know, and we're reminiscing how they were a total wreck, you know, caged animal in games. And now they are the happiest camper, positive influence, you know, about the cause, yep. you know. And this is over, he's been here three years now? Yeah, almost third oh. fourth, yeah. Yeah, almost three years now, and um, it's just amazing, because I know me, when I was beginning in the house, and I saw all these broken people, I'm like, no way. There's especially no way for me, but not for you, not for you, not for you. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing, because I was a very callous person, and to have that hope now, because of this place, that's pretty amazing. You know, we, we all grew up together in the house. We're not very much far apart from each other. So the reason why we are the way we are today is because of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can thank, you know, each one of these guys for helping me. He pushed me out of my comfort zone so much to where I actually have a personality today. You know, and I can thank these guys for that. It's awesome. Absolutely. And Nicholas, how he's talking about his zealotry and how he did the process. Mm-hmm. You know, I always felt, like, left behind. I'm like, geez, are you serious? Because, like, I'm the lazy guy, right? And I'm trying to do things to the absolute bare minimum. And then I see him doing it. I'm like, ah, I am selling myself short right now, mm-hmm. you know? So my first my first two years were very black and white, right? A rule is a rule is a rule. <laughs> and you can thank Tori for that because she had that same personality defect. And, yeah. You know, I wasn't here to make friends. I was here to save my life. Yep. You know, these are all lessons they gave us, you know. Mm-hmm. You learn how to have boundaries and the friends will come naturally. Mm-hmm. Well, I took it to the extreme like I tend to do. Um, to where it was kind of, it was difficult to be around me. You know, because I was always looking. I wanted, you know, I wanted to make sure I was doing this right. This is my only shot. Mm-hmm. And I took it. And so that third year, I was able to, to round some things out, you know, work on some other things. And, you know, I'm still pretty black and white with things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's that's what I came here to get. You know, mm-hmm. one thing I wanted to be doing was, was when I'm not okay with something, when something doesn't sit right with me morally, Mm-hmm. Then I'll say something, mm-hmm. and it's pretty cut and dry. If you practice it as many times as I have, you know that that that's something I came to get. And so that's something I put a lot of focus into. Yeah, you know? and these guys help me with that tremendously. Absolutely, tremendously. That's awesome, man. I want to thank all three of you for being real, uh, honest, vulnerable, all of the things that you learned here and are able to do with a stranger. Yeah. Um, we're not so much a stranger. We, we're all cut from the pretty much the same yeah. cloth. We're all, we're all kin in a, in a roundabout way. Yeah. But thank you. I mm-hmm. appreciate it. And I hope that the people that are going to listen to this can appreciate it as well. Absolutely. It's not a hard. It's not an easy life. Um, but we do recover. Yes, yeah. yeah, we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's hope. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. 
Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.